I don't know if you've seen this, but in Japan, they do have these card games in the arcades where you buy the cards, you put them face down, and that the 3D image appears on the screen. Really? And you bat- oh my God, Maria, this is the coolest thing I'm going thing to Japan in, in the summer, life. so I need to go see this. Hi friends, welcome to the Navig Gaming Roundtable podcast. This is a one podcast to stay up to date with all of the latest game business news. And I'm joined by Aaron Bush, you're used to seeing him here, co-founder of Navic, and Neil Dasgupta, co-founder and co-CEO of First Light Games. You're also used to seeing him here, but we have a new face, Aaron Worley. Can you give us a little intro? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, I guess you could say Aaron Morley, technically unemployed, but uh, <laughs> I am just about to start a new job on Monday, which is uh, uh, good news. Um, I'm a product manager. I've been working in mobile games for this is my 10th, 10th year. Um, I've been uh, most recently running my own game studio, which didn't plan out, um, but I'll soon be joining Sumo Digital to work on a very exciting new project. Oh, that's amazing. I love Sumo. They're such great people. Fellow Aaron's are great too. So great, great to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, how are we going to distinguish Aaron and Aaron who are both wearing caps and head- headsets? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah, usually one of the Aaron's is pronounced differently. A lot of people will say Aaron and I'll be like, no, it's Aaron. So we've got that that tricky um Okay. It's also hard to do a nickname of Aaron. R. Oh, that was a terrible joke. Let's move on. Um, in today's roundtable, <laughs> we're going to continue the whistle stop tour of the earnings season by analyzing the numbers of Konami, Sony, Take Two, and Katakawa. But before all of that, Aaron, you have a small update on what's going on with Meta. Yeah, so I'm actually I sort of have a three in one update here, but I'll, I'll start I'll start with Meta. Um, and so, um, I mean, first of all, I mean Zuckerberg recently stated that 2023 is a year of efficiency for Meta. And if you recall, in November of last year, the company laid off roughly 13% of its workforce um, as part of early cost cutting measures. And in this latest earnings call, um, you know, the company also made it clear that they're going to be more measured in their spending which in the case of VR means being more focused. And this makes sense. This is what we called for throughout all of last year. And it's also interesting because metaverse as a term is also being said fewer and fewer times in the earnings call. Not entirely sure what to make of that, but you know, there's there's something going on with a little bit less emphasis on pushing the whole metaverse narrative while also trying to to cut back um, on costs. And so interestingly, as the company lowers its spending, um, spending is also increasingly competing with AI-related spending too, which one could argue actually has more immediate benefits for the company than you know, dumping several billions of dollars into VR efforts this early into um, that technology's market cycle. Um, and that AI spending you know, can go into you know, improving the content recommendation feed as it revol- evolves its follow recommendation graph to be more like TikTok and its ability to serve effective ads in the wake of uh, ATT. So what this means for Reality Labs and naturally you know, the gaming ecosystem around VR, in short, means that they have to find you know, ways to do more with less. And so we'll see how that goes. But 
The second part of this update with Meta is that U.S. courts ruled against the FTC's earlier ban of Meta acquiring Within, which is a leading fitness VR app, or it's a leading fitness VR company. The app is Supernatural. Um, and anyways, it's just interesting to see this. It's definitely the right call because the VR market is still still so nascent and having startup exits like this exist motivates more entrepreneurs to build new stuff. Um, but bigger picture, it also potentially opens the door for Meta up to do more VR related M&A, including, you know, gaming related um, M&A again, um, which, uh, you know, they probably wouldn't have been able to do as much because if, you know, regulators are going to stop tiny acquisitions, then they would have stopped the gaming ones too. Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes. But um, yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say, since I always have some weird axe to grind with regulators, is that they made the right decision, but their reasoning was really stupid. And so just to get it off my chest, they said it was based on Meta not having the capabilities to build fitness content. And I'm just like, what the heck are you like? Like, what are you saying? That's like absurd, makes absolutely no sense. Um, of course, they could make fitness content if they wanted to. But anyways, you know, bad reasoning, right decision, lots of changes going on with meta VR efforts. It's going to probably slow the, their role a bit with, with gaming and what people are going to be building on these, these platforms, but it's definitely not game over by any means. Still, still a huge initiative, but that's the latest with meta. Um, and I have a couple other just maybe like short updates so that I'll just kind of throw an ad hoc, but we can, we can move on to the next one first. I mean, I don't want to stop your role. All right. Well, I'll just go. I'll just jump into it. So, I mean, one, I thought there were just a couple other things going on this week that deserve a shout out. One is Nintendo actually reported um, last night. And I haven't looked into it in depth, haven't had time. But from the surface, it appears that the company missed estimates on console sales, among other metrics, again. Um, and its guidance for console sales in particular is also not as strong as many expected. And part of this might be macro driven, but of course, the Switch is also six years old at this point and, you know, feels a bit more outdated than other consoles on the market. And so, um, so it's not that surprising. And I think what really matters from here is just, it just increases the narrative of like, all right, what's next? When is like the Switch 2 or just that follow-up Switch really going to hit? What's the timing for that? And I would guess, um, 2024, maybe like fall 2024 would be my guess. That could be wrong. Maybe it's 2025. But um, anyways, I think that's that's going to be like the next big part of the Nintendo narrative now. Um, and so anyways, wanted to throw that out there because that's also somewhat relevant to talking about Sony's numbers later and kind of comparing that to Nintendo and Xbox. Um, and then the very last update I was going to give was just to kind of give a shout out to, to Hogwarts Legacy, which is just like, it's just like the big like blockbuster insane launch of 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 late and i think it's warner brother games their biggest hit um ever so um so that's interesting i'm curious to see the numbers but we do know that pre-orders were enormous it broke records on twitch and it got good reviews opposed to you know a game like cyberpunk which came in with these enormous expectations and then didn't deliver uh you know didn't hit the quality bar gamers were expecting whereas hogwarts legacy appears to have done that um, and it did that despite, you know, the, the kind of noisy boycott around all the, the JK Rowling stuff. Um, but above all, I think it just reiterates the, you know, how underserved Harry Potter fans have been and how untapped 
this IP is above like most all other IPs in the world. Um, so seeing this, you know, probably become, I don't know, a billion dollar game or something crazy. Um, yeah, it just deserves a little little attention and a shout out. So thought I'd bring bring that up as the next big hit. I think Hogwarts Legacy is going to be my Final Fantasy X, where instead of playing the game, I was playing the sports. They had the underwater. What was it? Blitzball. Yeah, I'm just going to be playing Quidditch all day. I don't think they have Quidditch, though. That's like no. a weird thing. Yeah, maybe what? it'll be a DLC later. But yeah, it's but, yeah, it's crazy. Don't... don't, don't I'm not, I almost you know, flipped I, the table. Me, okay. but, <laughs> yeah, don't flip the table. They might add it in because people like you. Um, but wow. I don't think it's their day one. I think this is the biggest disappointment I've had this year. Okay, have to refocus. Uh, on the Nintendo earnings, I actually found it really interesting that they announced they're doing a 10% bump on salaries, which is seems to be the opposite of what's happening currently in the games industry. There are a lot of layoffs, and Nintendo goes, hey, we didn't meet expectations, but we're still going to raise everyone's salary. Yeah, I mean, inflation is also a thing, you know, all around the world. And so even mm-hmm. though the, the games industry has, has maybe taken a step back demand-wise, it hasn't changed the fact that inflation under the hood affects, you know, cost of livings and things like that. So I think it's good that they're taking, their, taking care of their employees. It's a common trend, right, that most companies tend to miss their, their forecasts. But I think the recognition of that isn't because they delivered bad products or they did a bad job. Perhaps some did. But for the most part, people have delivered very good stuff. And I think that's actually very admirable that they will support their staff during such a time. It reminds me, actually, do you remember when Sataru Itawa, there was a time where they all took like a 50% pay cut at the top of the company because the the Wii U at the time completely failed. So Nintendo's kind of, you know, been shown to be quite responsible in this respect, you know. I've been quite nice in what is not the best climate right now for gaming. Definitely. And I think it it, it suits them as well to try and retain staff. It's um, looking at the Japanese scene at the moment, you've got huge run of way success uh, from software. We'll talk about that a little bit later. It's got to be a, a hot time for, for talent in, in Japan. There's a lot of um, growth in worldwide sales. And I think somewhere like Nintendo traditionally might be able to lock up talented people for their entire career. I don't know if that's that's quite true anymore. NetEase are moving in, starting up new studios in Japan. Montreal was announced today all over the world. So the, you know, the hunt for talent at Nintendo has probably got some amazing um, developers, designers, and all sorts over there. And you know, if, if they were to not match inflation, especially with the weak Japanese yen, uh, I mean, if it's probably already challenging uh, working conditions and you know, a uh, big grind to get these big games out, it would be easy to uh, hemorrhage some talented staff. So I think there's probably a little bit of hard-nosed business reasoning uh, to do that, despite the the missed targets as well. We yeah. have. Lots of earnings to get through today. And I'm actually going to do a three-in-one update, which is not really an update. It's going to be a deep dive of Konami's earnings. I thought it was going to be an update, and then I dove into it. And it's actually quite a lot of interesting things uh, that they're doing. So first, to kick it off with a bit of context of their financial results. So 2022, the financial year, was actually their best year ever in terms of performance. And Navic Digest actually did a little dive into it when Konami made last year's Silent Hill announcements. Um, But unfortunately, they corrected their expectations in their latest earnings, which is going to be just significantly worse. It's going to 
Um, it's currently estimated 44% less that, than what was originally forecasted in terms of profits. And they're also estimating a revenue growth of 1.2% instead of the original 6.8%. If we dive into their digital entertainment business, which is actually their games business, is forecasted to still achieve a very small year-on-year -year, uh, revenue growth. However, they have a profit decline of 32.6%. And they didn't provide a lot of details, but they contextualize it as an increase in costs of development and promoting titles, but also an increase in R&D costs for the new devs that they're um, undergoing at the moment. So actually, I looked into it a little bit further, and there's no direct mention of eFootball. E and that was previously pro-evolution soccer, PESH. I only know it as PESH because that's how I grew up. <laughs> I grew up calling it. And that's really underperforming. Um, and I don't think it should be left unsaid because they released the initial version of eFootball. It had a lot of bugs. It didn't feel realistic. There were severe issues with it. They released a 1.0 version, which was meant to address a lot of those issues and finally become the, the what they called the FIFA, the FIFA killer game but unfortunately is still continuing to underperform. And considering how important PESH was to the performance of Konami's games portfolio, I think this is taking more of a hit in terms of their revenue growth than is being communicated. And then I also looked at their overall strategy behind these numbers, because if their profit is declining, they're making these investments in R&D. I just wanted to understand what are they investing in and what are they trying to build up for the future? So as we discussed with Silent Hill uh, towards October last year, they're trying to create an expansive transmedia and AAA cross-platform products. We can see that with their Silent Hill portfolio, but also they're trying to build, uh, build up their esports community with a surprisingly well-performing mobile game that I didn't know before, which is Professional Baseball Spirits A, but also building up the next generation of Yu-Gi-Oh, not only in terms of players, but also the competitive scene. And so I think Konami was quite critiqued in the past few years about being mostly dormant as a gaming company, focusing in their other businesses and focusing on PEG and sorry, eFootball uh, and Yu-Gi-Oh! and their professional baseball mobile game. And so I actually think that they're investing in trying to build the revival of their gaming business and set it up to, to really grow in the next few years. I'm a little bit concerned about the spread of their focus. Uh, as we addressed in the past, they have multiple businesses with Pachinko, their Pilates, and a lot more. But also within the gaming, their gaming IPs, they're trying to build an NFT marketplace. They're selling NFT art with their IPs. They're trying to build this esports scene. They're also trying to create these multimedia IPs and transmedia products. So there's quite a lot going on. I hope that they do come through with excellent games. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see how, how that goes in the next couple of years. Well, what do you all think about this take on Konami building its future strategy? It is interesting that they appear to be doing that, given that they seem to have given up on games altogether just a few years ago. And I wonder what's triggered that to bring it in. Um, something I was going to mention, and it's sort of tied to the previous point that um, Aaron made about Nintendo, is that 
I believe that in Japan right now, the games dev scene is starting to get a good kick. And I think the reason for that is that a lot of funding came in specifically from um, the Saudi region, like, you know, Gulf Coast and things like that, where they've put a lot of investment into Japanese companies. And specifically, I believe from software, I know Capcom definitely took it, perhaps even Bandai Namco, but a lot of them received funding for sort of minority stakes. And what this has meant, and you might have noticed this across the board, is that Japan's on a bit of a tear right now. Like the quality of games that's coming out of Japan, especially on console, has really gone up. And I suspect it's just as simple as they've had more money to spend on them and they've, they've taken more time. I've definitely noticed that rather than these developers rushing releases, they've taken their time on, on getting a game out, even delaying it in case, and the quality's been really high. And I think what that started to do, which is really good in a way, I think, is it means that the quality's gone up. The revenues are there to be seen on the other end. You know, Nintendo obviously is, is known for making big profits, but I don't think we should like shy over the fact that like Monster Hunter World for, so Frontier for, for Capcom's like done over 20 million copies. I mean, that's an incredible number, right? That blows out of proportion to anything that they've done before. So people can see that they've got really strong devs there that are maybe undervalued and it's going in there. So that would definitely make sense why Konami might be thinking, hey, hey guys, you know, like uh, when we stopped this kind of video games thing, uh, maybe, maybe we should not have done that. It's all just like suspicion, but I feel that's that's why it's done. And I think that's possibly why we're seeing the cost go up there, especially in that particular sector, because especially with the sort of working from home revolution, what's to stop someone going and snatching this talent and, and bringing it into a Western studio? Language barrier, sure. Uh, but they're just some thoughts from my end anyway. Yeah, because uh, the hardest thing, well, one of the hardest things nowadays for a new studio to build is a good IP that becomes part of culture. And Konami's just sleeping on some of these, the ones that we mentioned, Silent Hill, Castlevania, they're, they're exploring Yu-Gi-Oh, but there's just potential there to revive IPs that still belong in, in, in players' In hearts. the last two years on Netflix, you've had Stranger Things, and now on HBO, you've got The Last of Us. What do both those things have in common? And they, you know, Stranger Things is the most watched thing on Netflix, and The Last of Us is just like everyone wants to make that into what's the next video game that's going to be a TV show. And Silent Hill is both scary and it's a video game and it was amazing. So mm. might be something to work with there, right? Yeah, and the last take I have in terms of Konami is I wanted to look at their mobile portfolio because they had uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links that was released since 2016. One of, one of the best, I think the best card collection game on mobile. And then they released a Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. So they're essentially accepting the cannibalization of their best performing mobile game. Sorry, not the best performing, um, the second best performing mobile game. And I was trying to understand, and you can see in the data how the cannibalization has happened. But then looking into it, actually Master Duel is part of this plan to build the future of the company because it was already an old code base with Duel Links. They'd have to change the design and they wanted to bring that game cross-platform. And so they released Master Duel on the consoles alongside with mobile. And I believe it's on Steam as well. And it's with an attempt to bring more players into the game. So with that ability to rejuvenate the, the audience of Yu-Gi-Oh! And then age into becoming spenders throughout their lifetime. But also I think they're trying to stay ahead of the curve of player expectations that now their product experiences are cross-platform. And even more so is what I find so interesting about Konami is that they feel I feel like they're taking it a step for, further. More than being digitally cross-platform, they're trying to bring together the tabletop real-life card game with the digital experience. 
and yeah, I, I hope the best for Mas- Master Jewel. I love Yu-Gi-Oh! So, that has been done before. I don't know if you've seen this, but in Japan, they do have these card games in the arcades where you buy the cards, you put them face down, and that the 3D image appears on the screen. Really? And you bat- oh my God, Maria, this is the coolest thing I'm going thing to Japan in, in the summer, life. so I need to go see this. Well, I remember when I went, what would happen is that the people who would play the game, they're sort of so keen for new players, is they'll give you all their old cards and they'll like teach you the game. to try and get you involved in it it's really really awesome so that's sort of the only thing i'll say with japan is it's one of those markets where you can be successful just in japan and you can be ridiculously successful you don't really have to care about the west so there could also be that angle for it. i'd be curious to silent hill and e you know e-football they're clearly you know going for, for for global sort of success but you know you mentioned the mobile baseball game that game is you know one of those stealth killers in terms of the revenues it does yeah. and it's just because it's the most popular sport in japan and you don't really need to succeed outside of it if you're doing those numbers well it's just distributed well in japan because i looked at the revenue and it performs so well i can't believe i didn't know it before it's something i have to dig deeper into okay well We'll carry on this whistle stop tour and we have Aaron Bush with Sony. Choo choo. All right. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Sony Sony and PlayStation. And to start, I think we actually just have to provide a quick refresher on Xbox and Microsoft. Um, and so if you remember our last conversation from last week, we noted that Microsoft's quarterly gaming revenue fell 13%. And both hardware and their content services uh, were also down about that much. And uh, we said that its results say more about, you know, Xbox itself more than the console market as a whole, which, you know, elsewhere is seeing, you know, uh, big hits drive both software and hardware sales. And actually, when we talked about Nintendo too, Nintendo is, um, you know, probably more in line this quarter with like Xbox, but. Um, you know, for different reasons, being a different part of its console cycle. But, you know, two out of the big three um, console companies are down. While, on the other hand, um, Sony is in a completely different position right now and is night and day from Xbox. Sony's game and network services revenue, which encompasses all things gaming, grew 53% year over year. And part of that is a bit overstated because of currency fluctuations but but really for the most part it it is grounded in great performance ps5 units sold rose from 3.9 million in the year ago quarter and also 3. Point something million last quarter to 7.1 million um, units this quarter and as a result sony raised their ps5 expectations and i think um, they're targeting like 19 million for the full year this is q3 in their fiscal year which means next quarter is also you know, they're betting on pretty big um, unit sales too for PS5. Um, and, you know, besides the hardware, the network services revenue grew 19%, which is, you know, all their software stuff, which of course is, you know, impacted by God of War Ragnarok's epic, you know, launch. And as of a week ago or a week ago or so, um, that game had sold. 11 million units, essentially making it a $700 million game, you know, still pretty early in its life cycle. Um, and PlayStation MAUs hit a new high of 112 million. And naturally, when you perform this well, other efforts like PSVR 2, uh, which is underperforming, it doesn't matter as much um, because that's such a small piece of, of PlayStation's overall puzzle right now. So um, these results are really good. I and I genuinely don't know what 
what else there is to unpack here because for the past several months and even you know the past couple of years we've been talking about how PlayStation's success with its top IPs is a huge driver of demand and that demand would inevitably pick up as supply chain constraints ease up and that's exactly what has happened um, so I guess you know really like the question from here is can Sony continue its momentum throughout the year even in the face of others like Xbox and Nintendo cutting expectations um, Personally, I expect they'll continue to do well because there's still, from what I can tell, plenty of pent up demand for PS5s and even, you know, new games like Spider-Man 2, which is, you know, reportedly coming out later this fall, though we'll see. That game could be just as big, if not bigger, than God of War Ragnarok. Um, and so I guess my question to you all is, am I right to have that level of optimism or should I should I reel it in a little bit? What do you think? I'm I'm all with you on the the optimism train. I think whatever um, like dogma or principles guides PlayStation at the moment, it's it is working uh, very very well. Uh, you can see we're just talking about Konami's use of IP, which is so different, or even looking at parallels between what Microsoft uh, tried to do with their latest Halo game, building a TV franchise. If you compare that in parallel to The Last of Us. Um, the remakes of The Last of Us, the rumored multiplayer experience, and uh, now the HBO series. I think there's a there's a kind of practiced model of of building these big IP games. Uh, they've got um, active user bases, like you have a live mobile game, but they have it at the IP level and they know how to execute on it. Um, and they're not, uh, I think, afraid of heavy costs and delays if it means getting it right it's in a lot of ways it makes me think of the the nintendo um of the you know uh, the years uh, past where they you know spoke very openly about it you know, there's no such thing as uh, a game that's um, uh, rushed out it can be bad right and then if uh, if a game is, is delayed you know you still preserve that aura of what it's like and i really see that now with uh, on the sony side is that where they've they've seen this thing uh, perform so well is that they're working internally to make sure what comes out is of a very high quality and they're really pushing in all the areas of media which seems to be the big growth channel at the moment as traditional advertising is is becoming harder and harder to pull off these you know transmedia experiences they're applying that same principle to the the AAA game development to the shows and I'm sure we'll see in other areas as well um, so you yeah, know I'm feeling I'm feeling very optimistic um, there might not be a game in the calendar that I'm like amazed about, unless they say Bloodborne Two is here. Have a look at that; that would, that would blow uh, me away. Final Fantasy Sixteen. Mm, oh. It's not. It's okay. not. It's not. I, I mean, it looks cool. It looks cool. We but, can't be um, friends, Aaron. Uh, sorry. Maybe we can play Blitzball uh, one day. I did like that a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think they're they're on a on a on a rip. They're doing really really well. Um, I'm not uh, expecting anything other than a, than a great year from them. And if anything, it's possible to capitalize on where Nintendo have been sluggish to release new hardware, new first-party titles, um, and expand into other media. And, and Xbox are, are struggling with the, the regulators and their their you know jewel in the crown IP suffering as well. So I, I think it will be a year for Sony to perform really well. How about macroeconomics? Because in general, I agree with you both. I think they're consistently providing high quality products and it's working well. And I think it's noticeable how pretty much every other company is reporting missed 
guidances and sony is like oh no hold my beer we're, we're just completely destroying you they're doing great in what is a down economy but i remember we had this conversation at the end of last year and we were talking about it and you were equally bullish actually on this i have to say aaron so you know you've been proved right um but do you think it can sustain that's my only hesitancy it's nothing to do with them but will it be a situation of can P- I, I, my, my comment at the time was that, you know, console games are expensive these days, you know, 70 bucks. Uh, the console itself is expensive. When people are struggling to pay their energy bills, et cetera, et cetera, can they keep up? And I think you might have said at the time, the demographic that sort of plays PlayStation these days maybe is immune to that, right? They're of that kind of high spending packet and maybe it's a winner takes all market and Sony is the winner. That would be my only comment. But I, I do actually agree with you. I think that like, whether or not they will maintain the same strength, I think in proportion to everyone else, they will be amongst the top performers. I just don't know what that means overall. But I think kind of when we talked about Nintendo, how they increase you know, wages despite the missing guidances, they kind of recognize that they're doing good. It's just that the world's not doing good. Yeah, I think my, I think my comment was just that there's so much pent-up demand for the PS5s still, that even if some people have to cut back, there still is an enormous line of other people waiting to buy in. Um, and also, I mean, just to jump the gun a little bit to like the Take-Two discussion, but one thing Strauss, um, Zelnick Take-Two CEO, um, made pretty clear in the, the earnings call that I think applies across the games industry um, was that um, you know, in a time when gamers are cutting back, they're prioritizing like the biggest and best IPs and just like the top performing games most of all. And so um, if PlayStation can continue to deliver deliver like this level of hits like we've seen with God of War and Spider-Man and, you know, even Final Fantasy, which isn't, you know, it's not a Sony game, but it, it's exclusive on, on PlayStation. Um, that they probably are in a good position. They're not going to be completely immune. There still is like they have tiers of subscriptions that naturally people are suffering that might not go as high up on their tiers or sure they might not buy as many as many games as they would otherwise. So I think that's that's real. But um, yeah, I think there probably is still enough pent up demand and they're doing the right things better than the competition that this is where more demand is flowing compared to the rest of the, the pack. Um, one other way I sort of wanted to spend this conversation, um, just because I feel like we've we've kind of beaten this horse to death over time, just because not that much changes every quarter, you know, with like with these companies, it still is like the same fundamental underlying story. But I sort of wanted to tie it into what is going on with Microsoft and Activision. Obviously, there still is a, a large chance that that deal might not go through. But I just want to play the hypothetical that if it goes through. And, um, you know, Activision, all of those brands get roped into um, Xbox. It becomes part of Game Pass. And all of a sudden, subscription as a business model, like Game Pass as a contender, it like doubles its impact um, pretty rapidly. How do you think Sony should respond? Do you think they should continue to do their own thing? Do you think that that should accelerate their timeline to a subscription? If so, how the heck do they think through the economics of that? Just if you were in Sony's shoes and something like that were to happen, what is the rational step to take? We see that Sony, we discussed in the last week's episode with David that Microsoft is still trying to catch up with this mature pipeline of the first party titles, really strong IPs. And I think this is what we're seeing Sony now reap the rewards of having that training, like you're saying, Aaron. 
And we see Sony now trying to move into mobile because they also want to build up that pipeline with such an addressable platform. And we see Microsoft trying to do that with the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. We still we look at King and they're still performing so well just looking at Candy Crush. And so if they do manage to get through that acquisition, that gives um, Microsoft a leg up in building that pipeline and that experience within the company in the mobile segment. So do you think that Sony's approach in terms of trying to mature the mobile market is a must-have step to continue being the leader? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think what what they're doing in console doesn't have too much. What they have to do too much with what they're doing in mobile. Whether they succeed in mobile or not, I don't think that's going to have an outsized impact on their console business. If anything, it just further extends like the power of their IP and other directions. But um, I don't know. Maybe Aaron or Neil, do you agree with me on that, or is there more more to that that mm. should be unpacked? It feels it still feels very experimental um, to me in a similar thread to what they're doing with uh, PlayStation VR two. Although they have more more proven results with obviously the first headset and and some success there, even though you know VR itself is not an enormously profitable sector. I see the the mobile side. They've acquired some great talent. They've got. Savage Game Studios, you know, first party banner title now. We know they're making a shooter game in Unreal Engine 4. So that's a, that's an interesting place to be. It's a very tough uh, segment, but it's still growing and a lot of eyeballs in places like um, Brazil, Indonesia, even Japan, which um, should complement and you know extend Sony's reach of IP if they weave that in as well. Um, I think there's there's still a lot of uh, room for success, but it feels to me much like trying to have your cake and eat it all. They're sitting on some great results. This is a, a calculated bet. If we can expand into mobile, we can achieve even bigger results for you know future big IP uh, when it launches on console, has a, a mobile element, etc. I'm sure there will be um, approaches to building brand new stuff through the Sony brand, but for me, it's still it still feels a little bit like that just now. It's a little bit under wraps. It's a little bit um, unknown exactly how they're going to execute. And if if we look at what they've done with other platforms, I expect them to take a long time and then try and push out very, very large games. A bit like how Call of Duty Mobile had a, had a pretty quick soft launch and then exploded onto the market. I, I expect an attempt to do something similar for PlayStation's mobile arm to, to pick one of their strongest IPs and try and create a massive opening in in like a defensive moat type market, whether it's shooters with Savage Games or, or something totally different. Um, but it takes a lot of time for even experienced staff to find uh, success and growth levers on mobile. Now it's, it's very complicated trial and error based process and you need deep pockets. Sony's got the deep pockets. I think the interesting question will be, do they have the appetite for the two steps forward, one step back that is launching new games on, on mobile now? Um, uh, same question I, I see myself asking for Netflix. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting calendar year, but I'm not expecting anything enormous really until maybe 2024 when some of these games have been through a soft launch, have reinvented themselves and are maybe coming uh, to devices. 
to come back to your question on um, should they go for the sort of subscriptions if that thing was to happen, I, I don't think that they should because I think Sony are kind of, they've, they've made the space now where they are almost the undisputed masters of it. You buy a PlayStation to buy it, to play a really high quality, amazing sort of movie experience as a game type thing, be that God of War, be that Last of Us, be that Horizon Zero Dawn. You know what you're going to get. Very cinematic, top end. It's the best. You can only find it on Sony. You can't find it anywhere else. So I don't think they would really be that scared, to be honest with you. It's like, why risk going into something that may or may not work when you're already leading the way with what you've got? The only sort of counterpoint I could say to my own argument is that where do you go in the future? The one thing I would say is that like people who who really sort of play PlayStation a lot tend to be, I guess, like ourselves that grew up with it, right? But are people who are growing up now buying PlayStations? Not in so much, which is, I think, the real reason why they'd be moving to mobile using actually what Aaron's just said there in terms of the high quality, trying to repeat the same trick, but maybe on a different platform. Um, and, you know, if that's your core belief that that's how you're going to win, you're going to win with quality, which, to be honest with you, has always been the Sony hallmark, right? It's not just for the PlayStation. It, like, I remember as a kid, like, you'd buy a Sony TV because it was perceived to be better, even though it was like £100 more expensive than something else. But you would buy it and you'd be happy with it. And that's sort of like the, seems to be the fundamental value throughout everything they do. So look, I could be wrong, but I, I kind of feel that that explains why they'll always test the waters a bit like what they're doing with VR and, and many other things. But I, I think, you know, again, you say yourself that their sort of modus operandi or whatever guiding principles they have at the moment is clearly really working. And it feels like a sort of long-term strategy that they've doubled down on. It's funny because sort of like they lost their way with PS3, then PS4 was like the comeback arc and PS5 is now like almost back to their best. And um, I, I feel they'll just stick with it, really. I think it's a good point to continue to the next stop with take two. And that's you enough. Someone totally stole my thunder on this one, I've got to say, by dropping <laughs> the, the most interesting. No, that's okay. Because <laughs> I was going to say, this is not the most interesting, but it's still relevant going through. Um, you know, they pretty much did um, as they were doing before. So they, like a lot of uh, companies in this sector, they have missed booking slightly. They're sort of 95% on target, but not too bad. But, you know, not as bad as Konami, but, you know, not the success that Sony was. As a result, they've said that they're going to be doing making some operational cost savings, a small amount between 50 to 100 million which i think you would expect anyway given that they just acquired zinger and you know i'm sure they've got a lot of follow-ons like you know talking about their mobile studios you've got now you know natural motion you've got nordius you've got social point i don't think you need to have the same people in each one of those three companies doing the same job so i'm sure there's some consolidation i think the things that are really worth talking about though is they also do like a an earnings call at the same time and uh, i used to hold stock in zinger because i used to work there so you know i do tend to follow these quite a bit and there were some interesting things that i think are worth talking about so one is they can you know, that they, they sort of mentioned for the first time i've really sort of seen them big this up and say you know they want to deliver across an array of platforms and capture global audiences that sounds pretty you know copy paste from everything else but i think like across a an array of platforms is interesting like i feel that like they may be going more cross-platform i mean they obviously have a huge console here in, in the grand theft auto games talk about that in a moment they've just bought zinger which is mobile um are they going to be going cross-platform it would make a lot of sense with the ips we've just talked about it with sony as well i strongly suspect they must be working on something like this when and where will it come along i can say that uh, zinger i don't know if they they globally launched it but they were working on a star wars game star wars hunters i think it was which was um 
both Nintendo Switch and the mobile game, which was pretty unusual for Zynga. That's certainly the first time that they've done that. Um, so that's perhaps something that we could kind of see. I think it's interesting that they said that their balance sheet remains strong, allowing them to navigate these uncertain times of confidence. And I wonder if that's a hint that they might be buying more. Uh, Zynga especially, you know, they love to buy companies. They've got quite the portfolio underneath them. They did make acquisitions even post this one happening out there. They bought, um, who was it, the the uh, app sharing uh I have to, the name for it escapes me, but they did bid by like an absolute optimization platform along the way in the year. Um, and yeah, the big thing that kind of was, was stolen, but I really agree, they said, that, you know, we believe that consumers shifted their holiday spending towards established blockbuster franchises and titles that offer the price emotions in light of macroeconomic conditions. And I think this is very telling. So I think from their behalf, it's sort of telling, so it sort of hints that they're not really going to play too much of the innovation card. <laughs> you know, they're sort of reading the room and it's like, okay, people, they like the Grand Theft Auto they like their Red Dead Redemptions. They're probably not going to like insert new genre or game that could be made here. Doesn't mean that they won't develop them, but they just don't expect it to perform well. I think that kind of backs up, especially what Aaron just said previously with Sony just absolutely hitting home. Like God of War is, I mean, they always do a great job, but those are really, really good numbers for Ragnarok. You know, that's kind of insane numbers. So that really sort of proves that that's what people want, this sort of known established quality. And I think it's probably also proven with their own thing. So they also mentioned that now GTA 5 has sold 175 million copies. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can really put that into your head about how big that is, right? I think that the nearest thing that comes close to it, I think, is like um, Wii Sports, and that was bundled with the Wii. So that doesn't even count, really, because that just counts people buying the platform. Um, so how they've done that, and I, I just find it hilarious how this game came out, you know, it came out on PS3, did it not, right? It's not even like a PS4 title. And, you know, most other companies would have GTA 6 already ready to go. We know next to nothing about it other than some internet leaks. And they're still not rushing. They know they're going to take their time. There's no need to rush it, I guess. GTA 5 is still, print, you know, doing gangbusters. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I would do. I wonder if anyone else had any interesting takeaways from them. Otherwise, it was just kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, climate isn't so good. So we're not doing as well as we hoped we would do. But we're still doing okay considering. And, you know, it will pick up in the future. That was my key takeaways from Take 2. Nice. Yeah, I don't, not on the earnings itself, but I did see, now of course this is a, you know, a leak and a speculation, there's a lot flying around about GTA 6 kind of being ready to drop, right? Like, but it's, it's, it's coming very soon. Really? A couple of, yeah, there are a couple of um, renowned leakers on Reddit and Twitter, so take, take that with a very heavy pinch of like nice coarse grain salt. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, an interesting one. Because GTA Five, I think, has had such a long life cycle because the team behind it really built GTA Online into the heart of the future for it, and it is now much more like um, a game platform like Roblox or, or Minecraft or Fortnite. You know, one of the biggest growth vectors for GTA Five over the last few years has been role playing um, in the GTA Five world through great modding tools and specific role playing servers. Yeah, even you know YouTube celebrities making songs with role-playing um, Twitch streamers and you know building up a whole kind of 360 network. I think GTA it kind of has the space of the cool um, online platform, right? If if Fortnite and Roblox skew younger, then your Gen Zs that might not be buying PlayStations specifically for PlayStation, they want to be in GTA. So I wonder what we'll see for GTA Six. I wonder if anyone has an interesting view on this like how are they gonna have this right at the forefront because gta 5 of course launched 
two console generations ago without GTA Online. GTA Online at the start was far simpler than what it is today. How do you bring all those learnings to home and, and ultimately not cannibalize or decay on what has been so successful for GTA 5? Uh, let's not forget as well, Red Dead 2 tried to do this with years and years of data and learnings and, and really, really, uh, they had a, a terrible time with that. Um, maybe the game itself is hard to make it happen. I wouldn't comment on that, but how do you make sure GTA 6 can actually be a, you know, a step above something uh, as successful as GTA 5? Is it even possible? Well, I guess I would start by saying I'm sort of skeptical of the leaks and saying that it's coming soon. Uh, these games are notorious for being delayed. Um, and I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we saw the actual leaks of, you know, some hacker that got into their Slack or something and, you know, shared some footage of the game. And it was, you know, pretty clear from that that there was, you know, quite a long ways to go, although I wouldn't overly hinge to that either. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways to to level up GTA 6 from GTA 5 just as like an open world game because there's just it, there's just been so many learnings about building open world games since then um, that I'm not I'm not too concerned about that. Um, but yeah, seeing how they decide to also tie that back into GTA Online and continue to level level that up. Um, I think will be exciting. If anything, like I, I'm probably less concerned about cannibalization. Like clearly, the people who play GTA Online are probably going to be really excited about GTA Six. But if anything, it's more of an opportunity for you know someone like me who hasn't played a GTA game since GTA Five. I'm excited to play that, and I don't know if that'll then convert me into GTA Online. But I'm sure it could convert a lot of new people that haven't thought about. GTA um, and in quite some time too, so there could actually be more of an opportunity there um, than cannibalization. But I think it's good to just bring GTA Six up in general because um, you know I I look at Take Two's latest results and I'm like, all right, they kind of missed on everything, and the cost cutting makes sense. They're becoming a more efficient business, like it's it's the right move. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, so what? Like, what's going to drive this, this, the value of this company so much more over the next couple of years is GTA 6. And again, not to say other games don't matter and all that thing. It's just like, like these games are that huge and that important. You're being honest. It's not even being unfair to say that. Let's, be, let's get real. The one thing that's going to drive that business is GTA 6. It's, it's really unlikely that anything else could move the needle enough, really. Yeah, so it's, it's enormous. And so, you know, my question is just like, well, can GTA 6 live up to GTA 5 like was GTA 5 a, just a fluke in video game history that happened to like perform at that insane level above everything else like is that replicable is my is my like biggest question here like clearly it's going to do awesome but is it is it 175 million units you know replicable I don't know it can't um, be surely I, 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 that's what the other Aaron asked as well like can it live up to the hype um, I was at Capcom when some people were working on Resident Evil 5 and that game, you know, we really tried hard of it. But ultimately, when you played it, you just couldn't beat Resident Evil 4 that came before it because like, that was the masterpiece and broke records. And, you know, sometimes you've almost got to be like, how do you do it? It's second album syndrome almost, isn't it? Although in this case, it's the sixth album, so not quite. Um, but I just think those units are just so ludicrous that let's be, if you only sold 80 million copies of a video game, I personally think I'll be pretty pleased with that, but 
this would be a game where that would probably be seen as a disappointment, which is ridiculous. I think to answer the question, maybe the way that they level up and perhaps with what they're kind of hinting at is they could have it more of a kind of cross-platform play from the beginning. There could always be like a free-to-play companion or something. You know, online was kind of built into it, but actually GTA 5 Online does have a lot of problems with its online components. Like it's very hackable. The community is extremely toxic, which I think you'd expect given it's a GTA game. But you are right. I, I believe that last year as well, they did start talking whilst the metaverse was hot. I'm like, oh, we've already got the world's best metaverse. It's called Grand Theft Auto Online. And even though that might sound facetious, I actually think he had a really good point to say that. I mean, it's a game that you can walk around. You're a character. You can explore it. It is kind of, you know, the feeling of what it should be. So if you put all these elements in together, I think if it was designed the right way, actually... Perhaps in terms of units sold, it may not be so successful, but in terms of revenues made, actually there is potential for it to do better because these things, they may not have factored into the original development and that might be more more where they could optimize it. Yeah. If, if they're building GTA 6 to be the next leader for the decade, I think they will be considering UGC and how they can add that within the online play. If we look at all of the demographic analysis about the younger generations and what they engage with, that's what they want, and they're going to age up over the next 10 years. That's, that's just my take. I don't know I how accurate right. it is. I think you're probably probably right. I don't know if that'll come out day one or if they'll build that more up yeah. over time. Like The thing about GTA Online is that it's just like a living, evolving creature, right? Um, that, you know, iterates over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would expect this game is going to have an insane launch. Uh, it's more like the long tail of like the units sold that uh, I think is probably more put in the question where I know you're saying maybe the opportunity is like, that's okay if they can find more upside, you know, in their online modes. I think that's interesting. And I guess we'll just have to, to wait and see, but you know, if that's, if that's true and like there is some risk there, then it, it also does make sense. Like why they're investing <laughs> elsewhere, like more in the Zingas of the world, even if they overpaid for that deal, like the, the idea of having like steadier, higher margin, revenues come from mobile makes all the sense in the world to kind of counteract any you know whiplash that happens from these mega franchises and you know back to the other franchise point like i am curious to see how they will invest in some of their bigger franchises kind of for this next generation um the bioshocks borderlands of the world um i guess we'll see i also like that take two is always taking shots (laughs) at new franchises it doesn't it doesn't always work um but they've done that for, you know, the past decade, basically, like, you know, they're less reliant on GTA now than they ever have been in the past. Um, and that's because of their, I mean, M&A one, but also just like their efforts in building these other franchises out over time. And so to see them continuing that trend is nice. Obviously, it's hard to, to like really build that next level IP, maybe harder than it, than it was even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But um, I think their 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 fundamental strategy is sound. They just have to, if they are going to do more M and A, they just have to be a bit smarter about what they pay than they did with Zynga this last time, which again was maybe an exception because of how the changing dynamics in the mobile market just kind of skewed, you know, skewed yeah, perceptions. They were late to the party market. there, right? That kind of yeah. makes sense. But I do agree, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you you don't take, right? So <laughs> you got to give them some kudos to at least keep going for it. One final thing I was going to say, sorry, Maria, just is very quickly, but uh, regardless of what game it is, I can't think of um, another games business that right now, today, 
has the complete kind of full stack of, of every defined sector of how people play games. Take two in purchasing Zynga, of course they have the console and PC market um, that they know very well, but it, within mobile they have core games, uh, stuff like Star Wars Hunter, as uh, CSR, some of the RPGs they've made, they've got hyper casual through Rolic, they've got ASO platforms, they've got cross promotion tools, they've got uh, internal ad mediation. So wherever you are in the world, however you play games, they have access not only to you through you know an internal studio or tool, but they're sharing all of that data across the entire stack. So something like GTA 6, how they can leverage that and find an endpoint for people, I think is uh, unbeatable. There's not another business I can think of uh, today People are building it, like PlayStation and Xbox, trying to build new ways to do this. But um, if Take-Two wants to get people to play GTA one way or another through one type of platform or experience, they have everything in the arsenal to execute on that. And I think that's going to be very interesting to see how it's all brought to home for GTA 6 or not. To wrap up today's episode, we'll have a last earnings topic. And Aaron, you have the pleasure of taking this on. First time, first company. And that's... Uh, Katakawa, if I pronounced it correctly. I mean, I hope so. That's what I'll be I'll be saying. So if, if anyone is um, fluent in Japanese and, and watching, please correct me where I make terrible mistakes. It's not deliberate. Um, and yeah, totally the opposite end of the spectrum to what we've been talking about. Um, Katakawa as a, as a business is, is something I wasn't really aware of prior to doing the research for this. I'm going to talk about them because they are the majority um, stockholder in from software. Uh, of course, had a mega hit with Elden Ring. But if we look at um, Katakawa kind of from the top, they've been around for a good length of time. They were founded in 1945. They've had some mergers over the years. More recently, in 2014, they purchased from software outright. Since then, uh, in the summer of 2022, in August, Sony um, purchased 14% of from software and Tencent purchased 16%. Of from software. So with Katakawa seeing enormous growth for its games business, thanks to Elden Ring, a lot of that coming from outside Japan and a desire to move into a kind of mixed media approach. Uh, what do all of you think about how they could do this um, with From Software's IP? Does it make sense to do a straightforward um, syndicated TV show or anime using um, that IP or, or, or can we expect something a little bit more different? It's interesting. What can they do to to spread their their growth in the West? I think Elden Ring was the first time that they sort of tried that anyway, right? They had George R. R. Martin, which was quite a departure from their previous games. Although I think it's interesting because though he helped with the world building, it's not what I would call like a, a true Western game per se, right? From software games don't really have strong character arcs. You're the character, you're, you're kind of leveling up yourself really, and the amount of times you keep dying over and over again if you've ever played their games. I'd be curious if they are going to try and make a game that really is built from the West, from the ground up. Um, I kind of feel that every time a Japanese studio tries that, it ends in disaster, but surely someone's going to crack it someday. But again, if they're talking about publishers, maybe they could find games that are looking promising already in the West and then sort of take them in and give them some you know, experience in how to grow it. Um, the sort of transmedia strategy is interesting, but I think that with all of the From Software stuff, again, they don't really have IP, in my opinion, that would make for a compelling 
movie tv show because although they have good universes there isn't like you know oh it's that guy from from you know may, maybe sekiro they have the, the the samurai character but that's not as big as an ip as the other one so i don't think that would be a, a applicable strategy for them right now it is something that they could build towards though in maybe five to ten years but what they need to do that they'd need to make more ip that maybe had some of those elements in them and, and try and get them to work in the west i think what they do have the advantage of though is that they've got that effect no matter what their next game is everyone's going to buy it right because they got such a good reputation which is a great thing to have and that means you can be more experimental and you can you could try something like that and you might have a shot at it where you wouldn't normally um you know a constant theme of this whole day has been the emphasis on building really high quality ip and why it's so advantageous to have it so if you're in a unique situation and you might have a shot or two where you could get away with launching something new that other people didn't that would be something that they could try that would be my thoughts but i'd be actually quite curious how they go about doing it these are not easy problems to solve yeah i think um they got a taste of what a larger release is like uh with elden ring but also replicating that again with their style of game um, in other ways is probably going to be a near impossible task. Like, sure, they can eventually make Elden Ring 2 or something, and that'll, that'll do really well, and they can kind of continue on this formula that, they, that, they, um, uh, that they've created. But expecting them to create another Souls-like game that's different from, you know, like this open-world kind of game that's also going to be this massive global hit I would be a bit skeptical of that. So I almost feel like, you know, if that is their goal, just to create more global epic releases, that that might not be the right one. Um, and rather them continuing doing what they already do really well and maybe just slightly increasing the pace of that um, or creating, you know, even more longevity around some of these franchises like the Elden Rings and bringing more like long-term retention to that in some way that could be more the way to go but i do think it's interesting how um they're also expanding out of this and back into something like armored core which i don't know much about that that franchise other than that the last game was published over 10 years ago and it um you know i don't think it ever was an epic seller but as you were saying anil like the fact that elden ring has done so well and even the dark souls games have you know built up a large fan base over time anything else FromSoft puts out there's going to be eager people um, from day one, at least to learn more. And so if they can take that enthusiasm and point it in new directions, um, whether that is the next Elden Ring sort of doesn't really matter. They can still expand their business in interesting, interesting ways um, without just being obsessive about finding the next Elden Ring, right? Um, so I think that's, that's probably where they should go. And it seems like maybe where they are going. But yeah, I guess it's just a question to me of like, can they execute as extremely well in these other categories as they do in the Souls-like games. Um, and that I don't know. I think that's a good way to wrap up today's episode. Um, Anil, the errands. I was trying to figure out a creative way to say Aaron, 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 <laughs> are the errands. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining today. And uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe on your preferred platform, leave us a comment on YouTube, um, sign up to the Navic Free that digest newsletter if i can say it properly and you can also listen to our other segments with the crypto corner and the interviews we will see you all next week